There's beauty in just accepting that you're aging and that you're growing and that you're changing. And as long as you keep fighting that, you're never going to be really content with who you are in the present. Hello and welcome to the BBXX podcast. Let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie. And we're here to challenge the way our culture has conditioned us to talk and think about sexuality, intimacy, and healthy relationships. To question everything, to embark on a journey of self-understanding, and to begin to rewire some of the backwards thinking that we've absorbed from the subconscious influences that have shaped us all. Our hope for you, and for myself, and for all of us here at BBXX, who are on this journey with you every day, is that through a better understanding of our own identity, of who we are, and why we are that way, we can form deeper connections with other people and live healthier, more fulfilling relationships as a result. Join us as we change the conversation and the culture surrounding intimacy and relationships. And remember, that better relationships equals a better life. Nati Valderrama is a bilingual health and wellness coach who helps people live healthier and more integrated, balanced lives. Like far too many people, she spent much of her life hating her body and struggling to find that balance until she started studying at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition based in New York. Her approach helps people find that balance first and foremost by focusing on the quote-unquote primary food groups, such as your relationships, your career, physical activity, and spirituality, which is only then followed by addressing the secondary food groups, which are the things that we actually eat and drink. Nati has built a community of over 50,000 Instagram followers and works with clients around the world. She also teaches workshops in both English and Spanish in Santiago, Chile, where she is originally from and now based. Nati, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Firstly, I would love for you to just tell our listeners what exactly it is that you do and how you came to be doing this work. What, you know, personal experiences, relationships, or events led you to where you are today? So I work as a health and wellness coach, and I've been working as a coach for the past year. And it's been quite the journey to get to this, to this career choice. I've had quite the love-hate relationship with my body during most of my life. And about five or six years ago, I was babysitting and I was eating this like Papa John's pizza and I was just feeling really gross, really like bad about myself, but I was just like so used to it. And I was scrolling through Instagram and I found this account. She's a personal trainer, Kayla Itzins. And I saw all these like before and after pictures and I was just like, oh, wow, like this seems legit because people were legitimately happy about their, their results and it wasn't just like a scam. So I was like, OK, on Monday, I'm starting this program and I'm 
getting on it. And then uh, I started working out and I started eating healthy. Like I cut off alcohol for my life for like three months or a bit more. And I was just eating super healthy and working out consistently. And I saw this huge change in my body, of course. <laughs> and after I did it for like about three months, I had these pretty impressive before and after pictures. So I decided to open an Instagram account to share my pictures. And I shared them one night, went to sleep. The next morning, I had 4,000 followers. Kayla had reposted my photo. And I had all these people like asking me all these questions and like, oh my God, you're an inspiration. And, and it was just like very overwhelming. And in the course of the next like six months, my following really went up because Kayla kept promoting my pictures. She kept, she does that with all of her clients that are happy customers, you know, and, and I started growing quite the following and I started sharing recipes. And this was just around the time that I was finishing college. I studied advertising and I was really confused about what I wanted to do with my life, but this gave me like a new sense of purpose. So I started working on a recipe book and I started living off of that for a while and just giving people advice without really having any, like I wasn't a nutritionist or a personal trainer, but I just gave my personal advice on, on how to lose weight and how to eat healthier and how to achieve that lifestyle. I did that for a while where it got to a point where I just got really obsessed with my health and really, really obsessed with healthy eating. And it got to a point where it started being unhealthy, where I just wouldn't want to go out. I wouldn't want to see people because I could be in a party and someone would offer me a drink and I'd be like, no, I don't drink. So I just wanted to like isolate myself from everything. And it got to a point where it was just too much. So I eventually had this like click and I ended up just eating everything again and just going back to like, not working out and then winter came and it just took me back down where I used to be and still with a better mindset than before but still kind of just like oh, YOLO like whatever I can eat I can be more flexible and then I started kind of hating my body again but I was still an inspiration in some way to the people following me and they were they were still like counting on me so I just felt like how do I find my balance you know and and it took me a couple of years of going really intense with my workouts and my eating to then just being lazy and not really doing things for myself anymore. And eventually I found yoga. And I think that really, really helped me to kind of find that balance and to move my body in a way that wasn't just, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to be fit, but like, I want to be active and I want to be in my body and I want to love my body. And it kind of turned my whole perception on, on my body around, um, it was quite eye-opening and how I realized how I had been working out, not not just for myself, but for the kind of status that it was giving me on Instagram and everything. It was it was really weird. And, and that was around like 2014, 2015. So like influencers were just becoming a thing. So I was kind of one of the first influencers. But before I actually got really big, I just started to back out from it. And I started realizing just how... It was getting really oversaturated and people were just like selling all these protein shakes and and stuff like, like all these teas, detox teas. And I was just like, I could go down that road and just become someone who's benefiting from this. Or I could find another way to help people more from the heart. So around that time, I was living in Australia and I met this health coach. And she, we talked a few times and I was just so inspired by her career and seeing how she was helping people 
with eating disorders and to kind of switch that around and to actually find love for themselves and their bodies. And I was just so inspired by her career choice and and by how she was managing her own time and and helping people all over the world. And I just really wanted that. So eventually it took me a couple of years, but eventually I took the plunge and I studied for a year with the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And it was truly, truly life-changing. I mean, it was it, not only from like the, okay, this is a new career choice, but just for me and my personal development, it was it was amazing. I It was the best decision I've made in the past few years. And now I feel like I actually have somewhat something to look forward to because before as an advertising graduate, I was just very confused about how I could make an impact on people's lives without just selling people stuff, you know? You mentioned that kind of overnight experience is so interesting because it seems like a lot of times in life we become experts before we really even know much ourselves. And so at BBXX, I always try and remind people, you know, that we're learning the whole way along with them. And maybe we are a bit farther along on the journey. But as your life changes, the circumstances change. You know, there's never less to be learned. But I wanted to talk a bit about love-hate relationship with your body. What was on that love side? What was on that hate side? And to you, what does, you know, having a healthy relationship with your body or a positive relationship with your body look or feel like? I think the love part was just like, I loved a few things about my body. Like, oh, I have a big butt. So I've always been kind of proud of that. But then I have like small boobs. So I always wanted to change that or I wanted to be skinnier or I always was trying to maybe fit into someone else's mold of what a beautiful woman is. And I think it was when I eventually realized that There is no one perfect ideal of beauty, despite how much we've been told that there is. Being kinder to my body and just being like, okay, I don't like my stretch marks. Why do they bother me so much? And then realizing that everybody has stretch marks and and just being like, okay, why do I want to change them? Do I want to like pay for a surgery to change them? No. Like, why would I, why would I be trying to change my body if it's something just natural that's just showing you how much you've changed, how much you've grown It's like the physical um, representation of your growth and the same with like cellulite or like acne or or anything in your body that you're just trying to change. So I think it's been an internal process, but it's also been the influence of like this body positivity movement on Instagram as well. I feel like when I started BBG, I started along with a lot of other like BBG girls and we had like this whole community on there. And slowly we all kind of started shifting away from it and started going more into a mental health space or like physical doing yoga and not just that intensity of let's work out to change our bodies, but like let's work out because we love our bodies. And I think that's also really helped seeing other people that have been through the same as me, seeing them change their the way that they look at their bodies as well. I think that's also inspired me to be like, wait, I can love my body. I have permission. Like, But it's taken a while. I mean, and there's still days when I look at myself in the mirror and I hear like that little voice saying like, oh, you're not enough, you're not fit enough or whatever. And then it's like, wait a second, enough for who? Like I'm, as long as I'm happy with my body. And one thing that's been really hard is my mom. (laughs) My mom is always like kind of not influencing me, but kind of like nudging me into maybe losing some weight. And when I was really, really fit, she she would tell me that I was too skinny 
she's always like making comments about my body. And I feel like that's always really affected me because I don't know, the other day I got these shorts and they didn't fit. So I tried them on and I was at her house. I tried them on. They didn't fit. And I was like, oh, well, And she's like, oh, but maybe you could just lose some weight and then you'll fit into them. And I'm like, I'm not going to lose some weight for these shorts that I just bought for like Luca. <laughs> like this isn't. I'm not going to sacrifice like all this time just to fit into these pairs. It's like, I'll just get new shorts. It's fine. But I think that's been something that's always like weighing on me. Like even when I'm like making strides, like I'm changing the way that I relate to my body. There's still that like, oh, but maybe you should lose some more weight or mm, maybe you shouldn't eat that. And it's like, wait, like, why are you halting my progress? You know? Yeah. I love that part about stretch marks as the physical manifestation of growth. And I've, I've mentioned this, I, I believe, on a, another interview, but I remember that one time I was, I was in Berlin at a, a workout studio in, in the locker room after, and there was this girl who had some amazing, like really cool stretch marks. And I noticed them and was like admiring how cool her stretch marks looked and then found myself questioning why sometimes we admire in other people the same things that we criticize about ourselves. And so that's always just kind of an interesting thought exercise for our listeners to reflect upon your yourselves. And so since you did mention your mom, I was going to ask you kind of in general, where do you think your view and your perspective on, on health and body image and, and self-esteem, I guess, has come from? I think it was... A mix of media and then having really skinny friends and seeing how they were sometimes like more attractive to other people. I think that really shaped it. And when I was skinniest, I would also get a lot of attention, especially like on Instagram when I was going through this whole thing, the amount of messages from like men, creepy men, like, oh my God, you're so hot, you know, stuff like that. It's like, and it's weird and it's creepy, but then again, it's still that validation like, oh, so is this what I'm supposed to look like? And then with, like, media, like, when you were growing up, we didn't have, like, Lizzo's, you know? Like, we only had, I don't know, in my times it was Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and Spice Girls. And, like, you could be all sorts of people, but you still had to be some sort of skinny, you know? And I think that really affected it. And also, like, all the, the creams for, like, cellulite, all these creams that try to change you or things that you can do to change those small things. Cosmetics. Cosmetics, yeah. exactly. So I think it's a mix of all of that and definitely as well with my mom. I mean, my mom, she is quite skinny and she's she's almost 60 and she looks like she's 40. She does bigates and thinnies and walks and she's very fit. So I think she's always made me have that pressure for looking a little bit more like her. And that comes from, she's Colombian and the standard of beauty in Colombia it might be like bigger hips or whatever, but it's still like being voluptuous, but still lean, you know? So I think that also really affected me. <laughs> you mentioned how everybody who went all in on this BBG, you guys were talking, got really into it, and then slowly people began to back out. And it was that reflection on, okay, you know, you're working out to have a certain body, but then I wonder if it got to a certain point where people realized that that can only get you so far and that doesn't really fix anything. So is it about changing your body versus 
changing your mind. And obviously, you know, one lends itself to the other. But with, you know, that whole movement and even today with the people who, who are in your, your following in your community and that you work with, I'm wondering how you would describe what you think people are actually after. As I mentioned before, like the whole mental health, that's kind of made the, made a switch and become a priority. And I think people, when they're just working out obsessively with the goal of, I, I want to lose weight for this vacation that's coming up or to fit into this dress, or it's kind of like, yeah, you get there and then what? You're never going to really be happy, even if you get to that goal of, I want to lose 10 pounds or whatever. But I think when you switch that around to, I want to feel strong, I want to feel confident, it doesn't necessarily stop at a, at a goal. So, for example, I, I haven't really been working out because I've been moving and I've just been like stressed <laughs> and I kind of didn't make it a priority. And today I started working out again and I just did it with intention of, okay, I'm not going to work out because I want to lose weight. Like that's not my thing right now. I want to work out because I want to feel a little bit stronger and I want to feel that confidence again. And just by working out with that intention, even though I was like suffering through the workout, I was like, okay, like I feel myself getting stronger. And that changes everything. I mean, when you work out from a place of self-hate, it's not as enjoyable and you never really, you're never really happy. Like when, when I reached, I reached at some point, like I was weighing 46 kilos. My normal weight is like 52 or 56. I don't even know anymore. And I reached that weight of 46 kilos and I would still want to lose more weight i was like i need to be fitter it's 100 pounds it's yeah it's like it, 99 pounds it's i was a stick i wow i lost my butt well i never had many boobs much boobs to <laughs> start with but i was just like a stick and i still felt like i wasn't lean enough and the, well you probably weren't lean you were probably just skinny because yeah. you can't have muscle to weigh that Mm-hmm. little I mean I was still pretty Muscle. strong doing the BBG program and everything like you're strong after that but I, I wasn't okay with with the way that I was eating like I was still it was just all coming from a place of oh no I can't eat that uh, and, and that's just very restrictive and that takes a toll on your mind after a while and and eventually I mean I'm very glad that I eventually went to the other side and I just became a bit more relaxed with my eating and now I'm just trying to find that middle point, but always with the with the intention of how is this going to benefit me, my mental health, mm-hmm. my physical health, mm-hmm. and not just I want to look a certain way to impress people or to fit into a mold. You know, how can we value intentions over measurements and look at things as a process versus this specific means to an end? I'm wondering just because literally last week somebody else mentioned to me kind of this relationship that their family has with with body image and making comments about their body. I was wondering if you've ever said anything back or would have any advice to other people who are coping with that in terms of how to navigate that space. I think it starts with you being okay with your body and you can't talk back if you're not like emotionally okay, you know? So I think for me, it's taken a while. At first, I would just take my mom's comments and just internalize them. And But eventually, like, journaling about it, and that really helped. Like, okay, wait, she said this. This affected me in this way. What am I going to do next time? And my relationship with my mom has improved a lot since then because we've just, I've chosen to talk to her about these things and not in a situation where everyone else is there and I'm attacking her. But it's more like, hey, mom, like what you said, I didn't really like that. 
or like this one time that I tried on the shorts and she said that and she's done that a few times in the past few months and I'm just like I stop her and I'm like no mom I don't want to lose weight I'm okay with my body please stop saying that but I think it's taken me a while like at first I was just like very shocked and also stating your feelings like it doesn't make me feel good when you say that to me instead of like I don't know I think before I would just attack her back and be like I don't want to be like you or you know like I just be mm -hmm. very like take it personally but now it's like okay she's not doing this to hurt me she has her own body image issues that she might be carrying on from generations you mm -hmm. know so it's like okay this is not on me this is her thing so how do I let her know that she's hurting my feelings I think when you approach it from like the emotional side I mean I can't speak for everyone but for me it, it helps when I'm like this is hurting me mm -hmm. yeah and in a way perhaps this is based on advice that I was given recently at the same time not giving them the power of knowing how much they can influence you yeah. not kind of feeding that fire because mm -hmm. at the same time if they know how much they can influence you with, with those words. It might almost encourage them to, to keep expressing them. Mm. So I think it's important to like set that boundary and be like, mm. no, this is not okay. Please stop. And like, I don't want this to keep happening. You know, but yeah, I just, I guess it depends on like, what's their intention? Is it really to like, oh, I think this would be good for her? Or, or is it like, mm -hmm. I want to make her feel bad? And I don't know, I can't speak for everyone's moms, right. but sometimes they kind of do want to make you feel bad. <laughs> just not taking it personally is definitely first step yeah which is a hard first step yeah you in a recent post that I loved talked about while you were on vacation over the holidays with your family and some of the body shaming of men from women towards men and how that came up and was something that you noticed you know and perhaps hadn't thought about as much before so I'd love to kind of speak to that story and have you tell that story and then outside of that you know any thoughts you might have on what kind of body image journey or struggle men go through as well you know obviously in some ways might be easier might be harder because it's not such a public and you know socially known uh struggle or maybe it's not even there but yeah just have you speak a bit to that so i was in holidays in colombia and Lots of my cousins and uncles, like, yeah, they had a little bit of a beer belly or whatever. And we were spending a lot of the time at the pool. And just my grandma, my aunt, like, it was usually from women towards men. They would just say all these comments about, oh, you've gotten fatter or mm, maybe you shouldn't drink that. or And just constantly. It got to a point where I've set my boundaries and now my family doesn't say anything to me, which I'm very glad for. But still, I, I was just so shocked of the amount of comments that they were throwing at men. Even my brother, who's like pretty fit, but yeah, we've been on holiday for three weeks. Like, yeah, he's eating a lot. Of course, he's he's lost his six pack, but it's fine. And they were just always commenting on, on their bodies. And I feel like men couldn't really speak up about it. They were just like, okay, and they would just take it. And I couldn't really tell if it affected them or not because it's harder to be like, oh, unless you're like someone who's really like in touch with their emotions or like, willing to be vulnerable in that way. But I think most men will, will just take it in and you will never really know how it's affecting them. So I didn't really talk about it with them and see if if it really affected them. But I I mean, of course it affects you if, if your family is like shitting on your body every day. Like it's, it's a lot. And I think men can't really talk about it the way that we can. For me, 
if someone says a comment like that, I'll immediately, not immediately, but I'll eventually like talk about it on Instagram and I'll create conversation and I'll, I have friends that I can talk to about it and we can all relate. But I think with men, it's like, it's harder to admit that it affected you. It's harder to talk back and be like, hey, this is okay. Like, I mean, there are movements for men to also become more okay with that. I I don't know if you know Jamila Jamil and the I Weigh movement. She's an actress and she started this Instagram that's I Weigh. And it's more like, I don't weigh a certain amount of kilos or pounds. I weigh my happiness, my oh. self-worth, my career, stuff like that. Yes, I know someone who knows her and told me about this. So she interviewed, it was a really interesting interview. She interviewed Sam Smith. And I was just very inspired by that because... Yeah, she. they were talking about like weight and body issues and all that. And, and just hearing a man talk about that and how it affected him, I was like, okay, yes, this is what I want to hear more of. You know, like I want to hear men being vulnerable and and speaking about how this is this has affected them. This is affecting them. And, and it's not just us that suffer from fat shaming and body shaming in all sizes. I mean, if you're too skinny, you're too skinny. You know, it's, it's like, oh, if you lost a little weight. You're too skinny now, like eat more. And it's like, just let me have the body that I have. Like stop commenting on my body. It should stop being a thing for people to comment on other people's bodies. Just focus on your own. But I think it's harder with older generations and their preconceptions. Yeah, versus if it's a comment out of mental health concern. Yeah. Wondering if somebody's doing okay or if you're concerned about, you know, their relationship with food, be it a coping mechanism or a control thing. And, and kind of, if it's a question about the why behind mm-hmm. it versus the... Just the making kind of, the comment. Yeah, yeah, surface result. But I thought it was especially poignant when you pointed out that it didn't matter if you were on one side of the scale or the other, you were getting feedback, unsolicited feedback and crit- criticism on both ends. Yeah. And like, you can't please everyone. So like, you just got to focus on yourself. And there's no like end point that you get to like it's like such a bumper stickery like phrase it's not about the destination it's about the journey but mm-hmm. like that's so true like if you're not enjoying the whole process it's like what you're gonna reach to reach that point and then what like you're just gonna suffer all your life to stay in that point like you will never be a hundred percent happy at any stage that you're in if you're just trying to get to a number or to look like someone else so as long as you're like focusing on just doing what feels right for you and your body, that's that's what should be a priority. Kind of going back to that means to an end, I just think on the most basic level, there's no fulfillment that comes out of a stagnant process. You know, by being stagnant, it automatically isn't really a process. And so when you get to that end and then your process becomes just staying there and you're not learning or growing or changing or challenging yourself in different ways, whether, you know, they're positive or negative, but just having movement and growth, I think that is part of what gives us fulfillment. Because eventually, like, you reach a plateau. You're not really moving forward. So what's really the point? Like, do you just want to stay in in your goal weight forever, but, like, not really keep growing and and eventually it does take a toll on like your mental health and everything. So I think it's always about prioritizing how you feel more than how you look. And I think how you look will always go changing. Like we're humans, we age. And as long as you keep fighting against it 
I have a friend who's like obsessed with not aging and she's just like every every birthday she's just like more and more depressed and she's just like I don't want to grow old I just want to go back to being 23 it was a perfect age who wants to be 23 again <laughs> I don't get that and for me it's like but why like you knew nothing and and you're growing so much like and yeah maybe like your boobs will get saggier and maybe your hair will have some gray hairs and maybe you'll have a little bit more wrinkles but there's so much beauty to that and and I think when when I see older women or older men who are just like aging gracefully it's so inspiring to me there's beauty in just accepting that you're aging and that you're growing and that you're changing and as long as you keep fighting that you're never going to be really content with who you are in the present because you're always just either thinking about the past or dreading the future yeah and i think part of that with aging but also in general with you know quote unquote beauty is ananda it's an energy mm. is is really a huge part of what makes somebody charismatic or yeah. attractive is kind of what they exude and so that can only come from being in a, a good place within you yeah. i was at my sister's house and the tv was on and the golden globes were playing i've never seen them but for the first time in my life i was looking at some of these celebrities and usually they just don't age and you know you wonder okay people look impossibly good or you make certain assumptions but literally i was in shock because i was looking at them and no one looked good they looked a bit frightening because mm. <laughs> i think it gets to the point where now with all these new surgeries i don't even know what's out there people are fighting so hard that you end up looking different you don't look mm. as if you're not aging you look like you're being reformed and shaped into a different person. And I think we used to all like look up to celebrities so much, but I think since social media began, it's kind of made a switch and like now anyone can be inspiring and celebrities have to try harder than just looking their best at a red carpet. Like it's more like okay, who are you off of the red carpet and who are you really beneath that and like what's your character? Like what's your what are you giving back? What are you doing other than just being someone's like, oh my god, goals. People have started to expect more from the people that they they're inspired by. It's not just looks now, it's more what are your thoughts? How are you growing? How are you serving others? I mean, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I think a lot of people like that there has been a clear change since social media started. Red carpet beauty is a very specific type of beauty and and that's not real life. Like for example, I'm really inspired by Alicia Keys. Mm -hmm. The fact that she's like not wearing makeup anymore and she's just I see her now and I'm just so inspired by like being authentic with your skin and just treating it well and just not fooling anyone. You were speaking a bit about social media, so I would love to just kind of hear your your thoughts and how especially on your own journey of body image and all of that how can you tune out the noise or when your work is, you know, sharing things about yourself and posting photos of yourself? How does that either help or harm that process? You know, what kind of skills or lessons have you learned that you think might help other people navigate social media in a healthier way? I think it's been quite the journey of I've, yeah, like I'm I'm sharing, I used to like share more than once a day i was always i used it kind of as a journal 
And since I was spending so much time on there, I was just scrolling a lot. And it got to a point where I just started comparing myself and not just to body-wise, but also just like, oh, she's doing much better. Oh, she just launched her business and she's thriving. And you just, it's very easy to get in the comparison game. And I think one of the best things I've done for myself and my mental health around social media is put my phone in airplane mode every night. And when I wake up, don't take it out of airplane mode until it's necessary. So for me, I mean, everyone has a different morning routine, but for me, it's like, whether it's like waking up and doing yoga and then having breakfast and drinking my cup of coffee. And just when I'm drinking my cup of coffee, that's when I take it out of airplane mode. And that's when I start getting all my WhatsApps and and my messages or whatever. And I just try to be very deliberate about the time that I'm spending there. Um, It also helps to have that, not timer, but on Instagram now, like it can control how much time you're on. So it's like, hey, you've been on Instagram for two hours. I usually just ignore it, but it's still good to be like, okay, hey, I've spent too much time on it today. And how much of it has actually been productive and how much of it has made me kind of feel bad about myself. So I think another thing is really being clear on what kind of people you want to follow and what kind of people are actually detrimental to you. For me, it really helps like every few months to kind of just look at the people I follow and unfollow people that either I haven't seen in a while because of the algorithm and that I haven't really missed much, you know, or people that make me feel bad about myself, even if they're not trying to. But if there's that feeling, then I try to just, okay, maybe I should take a step back. So now I I share way less than I used to. And I try to be very deliberate about the things that I share and to share from a heart-based place instead of, I used to just like, I don't know, sometimes you, you'll just write like, small caption, like you'll put a quote and then like lots of hashtags. But I felt like even if I put like a bikini picture with like hashtags and a small quote, I don't feel good about it the same way that I would if I shared something more raw and personal. And I think I've I've taken that approach with Instagram and I try to just be really vulnerable and, and authentic with what I'm feeling. And that always resonates so much more with people. And I think that makes me feel like I'm doing something good other than just like posting a bikini picture that might make someone else feel bad about themselves. You know, like mm-hmm. I put myself in in their shoes and how I feel about certain people. And it's like, no, I don't want them to feel that way. And I want to share the different parts. So like for me, it's like, okay, if it's a post that it's like I'm celebrating my cellulite or talking about stretch marks or talking about the body shaming or all the stuff like that, I feel like I always get such a better response than just saying something that that isn't really from the heart, you know. Yeah, and I think it's important for people who do have a certain amount of influence. I think for all of us, actually, you know, regardless, to to kind of recognize as much as you know you might be affected by other people, what you say might also have the same. So, what are you choosing to share? Like, what value are they providing for you, and mm-hmm. what value am I providing for other people? Yeah, and yeah. how does it make people feel being on there? I mean, I. I'm not a fan of social media, so I'm not the person. But I just do wonder when people do spend, you know, hours or even just it does seem like it could get to the point where it might become this compulsion. And so then, but does that make you feel good? It maybe feels like you need to do it and therefore, you know, you want to do it. But what's behind that? And I think that also if people were to really force themselves to kind of step back and go to ground zero and then re-add things in based on on value 
that, you know, maybe they would realize they don't need it as much as they do. Or, or, I mean, it's always good to take a little break from Instagram or whatever other social media you're using and to really think about your life without it and how was it before. Kids these days don't even know a life before social media. Um, and I think that's very dangerous. Um, not being able to like step back from it and like find happiness outside of it and then returning to it from a more like present state without just like scrolling endlessly. I remember the other day I was at a party and I saw this girl and she was just scrolling through stories and she wasn't even looking at them. She was just like, next, 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 next. And for like 10 minutes. And I was like, you're not even looking at them. Like you're not even- can't even get started. So it's so bizarre. (laughs) It's like, you feel like people are kind of like turning into robots, you know, and it's, it's scary. So I think it's always good to take a step back, maybe say like, okay, I could do Instagram without Instagram for a week and just delete it from your phone. And then after the week, you will probably learn a lot of things about yourself mm-hmm. and and be like, wait, I could do this again. Or maybe I'm missing it and I, w- I want to share my learnings. But I think it's it's good to like take that step back and see it from another perspective. Yeah. I, uh, I don't use airplane mode, but I don't use my phone in the mornings uh, much, which came from a place of just, I mean, usually I like to get up and go and do something. But now even if I don't, it just gives me anxiety. And what I've noticed is whether I take that time to, to exercise, which I refer to as endorphin therapy mm-hmm. and a very important part of mental health, at least for, for me. And I just, you know, for me, my mornings are the only time guaranteed to me throughout the day. Just more stuff builds up, more things mm-hmm. to be done, more people to talk to, more things to respond to, more, you know, conflicts. Mm-hmm. And so really taking advantage of that time. So I'd love to hear about how how you think that our relationship with health, part of which, you know, is our relationship with our body, plays into our relationships with other people. So that's actually one of the approaches that they take in IIN, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Mm-hmm. So they talk about primary and secondary foods. So let's say your secondary foods are everything that you're consuming, uh, whether it's food, veggies, coffee, alcohol, whatever. And then the primary foods are your exercise, your physical activity, or your endorphin therapy, whatever you'd call it, um, your career, your relationships, and your spirituality. So as long as any of those things are out of balance, it doesn't really matter what you're eating. So for example, if you're in a job that you really hate or your boss is making your life miserable, you're going to get home and you could eat like a kale salad, but or, you, you know, you, you can eat all these healthy things, but you're still not going to be healthy, you know. And if you're in a really toxic relationship, you know, or or if you're just you've been single for a while and you're starting to feel like that loneliness, maybe you get home and you you want to lose weight, but you get home and you open the fridge and you just start searching for that comfort when really all you need is a hug, you know. And so it's it's about finding that balance between the the primary and the secondary foods, trying to focus on the things in your primary food that are lacking and then focusing on getting more greens or, you know, like eating a little bit healthier. So I think when I say I'm a a health coach, people are always like, oh, so you're like a nutritionist. Like you're going to tell me what to eat. And it's like, not really. I mean, I can, I can give you tips and, and, but deep down, we all know what we need to eat to be healthier. Like we all know we need to eat more vegetables, drink more water, eat more whole grains, stuff like that. But I like to focus more on the other sides of your life that aren't really complete or that you feel like they're lacking. And relationships is definitely one of them. I think I had a client that she was struggling with with binge eating and, and, and cravings. And one of the things that we realized in one of the first sessions was that her social life was really lacking and she wasn't 
taking the time to meet up with friends and she was single. She was okay with being single, but I think she was lacking the the social element in her life. And as soon as, soon as she integrated that and she started hanging out more with friends, she was able to prioritize more on food and, and the other parts of her life that were lacking for her to feel healthier. And I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the study of the, I think it's called the blue zones. It talks about all these different areas in the world where people are the healthiest. And in those places, one of the most important things is community. Mm. And I think one of them was like Okinawa in Japan. And it's just like, yeah, most people are eating plant-based diets or Mediterranean mm -hmm. diets. Mm -hmm. Like that is important, the food side of it. But the other part that's important is just having that community. They meet up all the time. It's mm -hmm. just, even if you're like aging, but you're you're surrounded by all, of, all these other people. And that just brings so much more health into your life and, and, and happiness and well-being in general. I really like that idea of so primary foods and secondary foods, but really they're just values and, and, and systems in your life and that synergetic relationship between them. So is it you focus on balancing that primary group mm -hmm. and then once you have that, you can move on to the secondary? Or is it this constant fluid kind of feedback process and sometimes you might have more going on. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, even if it's someone that their primary goal is either to lose weight or to change my the way that I'm eating or whatever, I always start with. With, with different tools to find what areas are out of balance. And we usually work on those areas first, but I'm always just like, this week, go to the farmer's market or to a supermarket and just try one new veggie, you know? And, and I'm always like doing the secondary food on the side, and but it's never a priority. So it's more like, even if your primary goal is to eat healthier, like I'm still going to focus on the other areas of your life that are that are causing you to maybe want to have that binge session or or to want to eat junk food at all times. You know, like it's you're not going to fix that just by eating healthy. You're going to fix that by going to the root of the problem. And I, I loved that about the approach of IIN is um, kind of goes with like functional medicine Instead of like the approach that most medicine takes these days, Western medicine is like, oh, you have so-and-so issue. It's kind of yeah. like, let's do a surgery. Let's fix it. Yeah. It's like a Band-Aid problem. Like yeah. you just like solve that issue, yeah. but you don't really get to the root. So with this approach and with the coaching that I do, I really want to get to the root of the problem so that you can change that and you have like that baseline to, to start from. Because mm -hmm. um, you can change your, your eating I mean, in a week and you can be eating like super healthy, but if you don't really have the other things figured out, you're just going to go back to that cycle of maybe eating junk food or whatever it is that you're struggling with in terms of food. Yeah. And that kind of quote unquote nutrition as a symptom, but really it going further than, you know, merely how do you look or what are you eating? But that again, how do you feel? what is kind of your relationship with food or with your body at that point and that relationship being reflective of and almost a symptom of that kind of first tier of other things. And so I, I just can't help but think about how when people focus on sex and problems they have in the bedroom, it's a symptom. It's a symptom that is being expressed due to underlying issues that probably they have nothing to do with that, you know, based on connection, communication, circumstances, all these other things. And so really, if we could begin to start to see 
health and nutrition and body image as as the same, kind of an expression of these same underlying first-tier, you know, relationships, first-tier values. What would you say your definition of being a woman is? I think it's been changing for a while. I Most of my, like, teen years, I wanted to be a man. I, I was, like, kind of tomboyish, but not really. But, like, I had lots of good guy friends, and I was just like, oh, they have it so easy, you know? And, and I, like, every time I got my period, I was just so mad at my body, you know? And I think I've reached a point in my life where I'm just like very grateful for being a woman and starting to appreciate it more. And I think that's also been influenced by hanging out with women who are really, really like who really love their bodies and who think of like their menstrual cycles as something sacred. And I don't know if I have a definition for what it is to Mm -hmm. be a woman, but I think it starts with that like with that community, with surrounding yourself with like you can't just be a woman that's isolated from the world it's you will not be happy like women I mean all humans humans do but I think with women we're such emotional beings humans are (laughs) yeah it's almost like I don't know that we need you know men probably only seems as if they've needed it less because it hasn't been socially acceptable with women I've seen such a change in how women before were just competing with each other and I've seen how how now it's less about competing, but more about like lifting each other up. And I think that just that single change has has made me view my relationships with my women friends in a much better light. And I just wanna, I just wanna be there for other women and I want them to be there for me. And I think there's that nurturing side of it. And it's not even going to motherhood, which is just another such an intense a friend of mine had a baby like two weeks ago two weeks ago and I've just been so emotional like oh my god my friend has a baby like she's a mother she just went through labor like and it's so sacred and we take it all for granted but it's just so powerful and I've come to terms with my womanhood and I'm I'm becoming more and more of a feminist as well I I used to think of like oh feminism like but now I'm like oh we should all be feminists and and just understanding how it could benefit men as well. And I'm going to go on a tangent here. Do you know who Justin Baldoni is? Mm-hmm. So you have you seen his um, program, Man Enough? Mm-hmm. So I, I saw that a few months ago and I was just so in awe of it because I think we need more of that, of spaces where men can be emotionally open and talk about difficult things and be vulnerable and I think we, we could all, as a society, benefit from, from men being in, in tune with their feelings and, and talking to other men about, about this kind of stuff. And my dad has begun, my dad is also a coach, and he's begun doing this, I don't know how you say it in English, conversatorio. It's like um, they meet up like once a week. It's like a group of eight men. Mm-hmm. And he's calling it hombres. Men's group. Yeah, it's like a men's group. And it's called hombres valientes y vulnerables. So like... That's amazing. Yeah, like vulnerable and brave men, I guess. And that's amazing. And they just talk about all these things about like what it is to be a man. And they have all these conversations that, I mean, I'm not even having these conversations with women deliberately, you know, like I, we, I probably have them here and there, but it's not like let's meet up once a week, have some wine and cheese and talk about what it's like to be a man. What's great about being a man? What's not? How can be more? How can we be more of an ally? to women, to the women in our lives, to the women in society. And like deconstructing all of that and seeing how your beliefs of being a man come from 
generations and generations of just boys don't cry and mm-hmm. <laughs> all these other things. And mm-hmm. it's been amazing watching him go through that. And I mean, I'm not I'm not going to go into that circle because I am a woman. But I, I'm looking forward to now tuning into that and maybe starting some women groups and being able to talk about all these things and about how sacred menstruation and to talk about like, well, I'm really into like astrology and stuff. So I want to start doing like moon cycles and just just with women so we can talk about our feelings in this like safe space, um, which I don't think we usually have. Like, as I mentioned, it's these conversations that you have kind of in passing, but you don't really have these sacred spaces where you continuously talk about these topics, you know. In this day, I think it's so great that these different conversations are going on and there's an irreplicable amount of value to that and a certain level of vulnerability I think a lot of people can have in one situation versus the other. But again, and kind of in part what BBXX tries to do is create that space too where anybody and everybody can come together to then share those perspectives and learnings so that they're not happening you know, separately and people growing on their own track apart from each other, mm-hmm. kind of there's that crossover and, yeah. and that fluidity and, and evolution together. Yeah, for sure. Um, what would you say your definition of intimacy is and what role has it played in your life? I think intimacy is like that openness to to being vulnerable. That's like one of the first steps. And just being open to let other people know who you really are so it's like of, of being who you are without those like walls or it's those moments where where you put down your walls and you just really speak from the heart and show your true colors we didn't get to dive into as much your personal relationships and with your now husband but would love to kind of hear a bit about that process and what you've learned and what the two of you have learned together thus far on your journey. One of the most important parts of our relationship is conversations. And in a few months, we're going to, it'll be like nine years of us being together. And whenever anyone asks, like, how did, how, like, how have you lasted so long? Like, patience and whatever. And it's like, more than that, it's just being able and, and being open to having really hard conversations, not shutting yourself off when something is happening. It's more like, oh, I'm dealing with this. How do I explore this? How do we explore this together? And how can I talk to you openly about what I'm going through without any judgment, you know? And and I think that has been a key part of our relationship, just like not judging each other for going through stuff that we all go through, but instead being really open to, to having those conversations and to explore it together. Recently, we've been talking a lot about like and because of like your the podcast about polyamorous relationships and for us we've been in a monogamous relationship for almost nine years now and we got married just last year but now we're just exploring like how how does that affect us like monogamy like is that something that we want to stick to are we willing to explore this like would we want to open up or not and how would we feel about it and and it's just been some tearful conversations, but also just so happy. Like after the second the second day we were talking about all this stuff, I was just like, I love you so much because I am so happy that I can talk about this with you instead of just like keeping it into myself and then just like hating myself for thinking these things and then eventually maybe cheating on it, you know, like it's like, okay, let's talk about how we're feeling about this and how are we moving forward in our relationship if we really plan to stay married for a while, you know, like it's... We're not just going to follow the status quo and do things like the way everyone does them because we are our own very personal relationships. So we need to like set our rules, 
set our like guides for how we're going to approach this relationship. And that's going to go changing year after year. But I think it's important to keep having those conversations and to and to speak up about anything that might be going on in the back of our heads. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really beautiful. And so to kind of wrap things up, I'd love to know what actionable advice you would offer to to our listeners mm. coming from from what you've learned. I think something I learned the hard way is like hard conversations need to be had. And if you just stick to the easy conversations, like you can be okay. There's always that that one hard conversation that you've had like on your to-do list and you just push it off and just get it done. And as soon as you get it done, you realize, hey, that wasn't that hard. And I feel like that weight lifted off of me. So that can be just talking to your partner in in a relationship or your business partner or your boss or your employee. Just having that conversation, the more you push it off, it's just going to weigh on you more. Yeah, I love that. Hard conversations need to be had, and it builds beautifully onto a quote from another one of our interviews that was, there is no good time to have a difficult conversation. So just kind of the, the combination of the, the necessity and the growth and positivity that can come from them, but getting beyond those excuses, those barriers, and getting into kind of that when you take down those barriers or get over that wall of fear, you know, you can then expand and grow and there's a certain amount of relief and positivity, be it the conclusion of that conversation could be, you know, somewhat of a objectively negative one, but knowing it and having that closure and being able to act accordingly or move on from, you know, that relationship, what be it can still be an extremely positive experience. And then like every hard conversation gets a little easier. And Mm -hmm. then you realize like, I was just talking to a friend the other day about how we used to just have, like stick to the small talk with most of our friendships and how once we started speaking more like vulnerably and like being more open about sharing our feelings, like more and more people came to us and spoke about harder things, you know, and it's it just creates that space for for deeper conversations to happen and for deeper relationships to form. Yeah, and how can we just make those regular conversations, yeah, exactly. you know, instead of thinking of it and kind of on that conscious level when it has that label, but realizing, no, these are just actual, the small talk, that's not even a conversation. These are real conversations. Yeah. That's just a facade. Yeah. That's just killing time or wasting time. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite questions to ask people to take the conversation mm-hmm. a bit deeper? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I've been struggling with that. Like just how, cause it always depends on their level of wanting to go there, you know, mm-hmm. cause a how are you definitely does not cut it. But I recently read about this. It was like 36 questions to ask. Heather. To fall in love. Yeah. To fall in love. And that goes like within, like, it doesn't even have to be in a re- right, romantic right. relationship. Just like asking someone like, do you have a hunch about how you're going to die? I, that question just hit me hard. Cause it's like, that's wow. Like that's, <laughs> that can touch on like, Casual. Your, like your deep fears, you know, and, and just sharing that kind of stuff with someone and like, uh, yeah, that can go real deep, you know? And I recommend reading that article and like going through those questions. But other than that, I don't know. I just feel it out. And, and anytime I, I see someone like going through a feeling, I'm always like, Hmm, like let's explore that. I mean, not like, I'm not a therapist or anything, but like I try to explore those conversations that people are like, oh yeah, but it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. It's like, no, wait, but it does. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's go there, you know? And and those questions escalate. So it also gives you the whole spectrum for, you know, yeah. 
newer connections versus people who you already have a, a certain mm-hmm. amount of confidence established with. Yeah. So as we wrap up, I have just a couple rapid fire questions that I'm going to ask you. Okay. Pizza or pasta? Ooh. Yeah, pasta. Sunrise yoga or dancing till sunrise? Ooh, dancing till sunrise. Drink of choice? Ooh, I would have to say beer. Hugs or kisses? Hugs. Sex or intimacy? Intimacy. Nature or nurture? Mm-hmm. Nurture. One of the best years of your life? <sighs> I think it was 2016. Who's one of your heroes? I think my heroes are, one of them is Yoga Girl, just because of her vulnerability and how she speaks from the heart. What kind of dog would you be? I don't think I'd be a dog. I'd be something else, something a little bit weirder. (laughs) Something you're excited for in the next year? Um, I'm launching my podcast very soon, so I'm very excited about that. Nice. Okay, so now the first word that comes to mind. So I'll give you a cute word and you give me the first one that comes to mind. Culture. Mm, Everywhere. Sex. Intimacy. Love. Everywhere. (laughs) You. Happy. Us. Mm, Conversation. Be. Present. Man. Woman. Be a man. Cry it out. (laughs) Change. Um, Starts with you. Hope. Mm, Don't lose it. (laughs) BBXX. The best. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you. It was so great having you. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for tuning in to listen to our show. If you like what you learned and you know someone who might also like listening, please do share this podcast. You can also feel free to reach out to us anytime if you'd like to submit questions, requests for experts to have on the show, or if you'd like to share your positive feedback or constructive criticism. We'd love to hear what you think. It's the only way we can learn and grow along with you. Be sure to check out our website, follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world, and subscribe to the Book Club newsletter, where we send out even more resources to help you dive even deeper to the topics that we bring to you on the show. Once again, we encourage you to take what we discuss on this show and apply it in your everyday life. Because remember, better relationships equals better life.